You are tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. This morning, we take a look at what's happening in our prisons. Today, HBR's Sabrina Bowden joins us with a look at a program on Kauai. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. So just to start off, about one in two people who face incarceration end up going back into the criminal justice system. And on Kauai, a new pilot program is helping those who are getting out transition back into everyday society. So with a small 5,000 microgrant from the Hawaii Rural State Association, the County of Kauai's uh, Life's Choices program will begin distributing re-entry transition packs to those who are getting out of the Kauai Community Correctional Center. So Life's Choices is a program through the county's Office of the Prosecuting Attorney that seeks to reduce drug use and other antisocial behaviors on the island. And they saw this re-entry pack service program as a way to help people get resources at the start of their journey. And Michael Miranda took over as coordinator of Life's Choices earlier this year. Reentry has been one of the prosecutor's office's interests because reentry into the general population is one of the key points of intervention where we could help people break the cycle of um, staying in the criminal justice system. When inmates are given um, proper support, Upon reentry, um, they can be given the literally be given tools to succeed, comply with the conditions of parole or probation. And the reentry packs are filled with all sorts of things like bus passes, taxi vouchers, gift cards, and a list of resources like hotlines and where shelters are. The packs are being put together by Dr. Graham Chelius on Kauai and Madison Smith, a student at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. The whole reason this project has even started is due to um, an opioid abuse crisis is like ongoing in Hawaii. Like it, it is a growing concern. Um, and also like people who abuse opioids are within the jail system. So KCCC. Um, but also a huge concern of this project is recidivism rates in Hawaii. So about like 48.9, so about like 50% of all incarcerated people that leave the jail system return back to the jail system shortly. Um, it's due really to a lack of resources and a lack of help of how these people cannot like successfully integrate back into society. So this project started with the idea of how do we help incarcerated people reintegrate back into society? Like that is the million dollar question of this project. It just seems like, you know, these seems like such basic things. Like, why didn't mm -hmm. we do this sooner if this is a, a new pilot program? So sort of the issue is there's not many resources that people have while getting out. So one of the things uh, about Michael Miranda is he's a former probation officer. And when we spoke last week about the reentry PAC pilot program, he explained that these resources can make a really big impact. I would see... So many of my clients struggle with um, struggle with substance abuse um, for a variety of reasons, and usually the reasons are lack of transportation, lack of housing, lack of familiar familiarity with where to go to get um, services. The reentry packs that uh, Madison and Dr. Chilius um, uh, put together pretty much have everything, not well, not everything, but the basic necessities that they need to uh, comply with. Um, their immediate needs. 
and specifically on Kauai, the Community Correctional Center, KCCC, is in Wailua by the county's public golf course. About four miles west past the airport is the courthouse in Lihui. And when we spoke last week, Miranda said that sometimes when people are getting released, they'll have to travel from the jail to that courthouse for their first meeting with their probation officer. Yeah, when they walk on the stretch of highway by the Wailua golf course um, from the jail to the courthouse, um, it's a really narrow and gnarly shoulder and and when some of them would walk from the jail to see me at the courthouse when I was a probation officer, they would tell me about how they almost got hit by a car or um, they would have, they would arrive with their feet blistered. Sometimes they would walk barefoot on the asphalt and yeah, they would walk from the jail to the courthouse and then they would have to walk to beaches on the east side where they would probably camp for a while. With the lack of transportation, um, a lot of them had a hard time staying compliant with probation and missed their appointments or missed court dates and it would just be a kind of a perpetuated cycle of um, reoffending. So as you can see, items like a bus pass or a taxi voucher right out the gate can be extremely helpful to those who are getting out. Sometimes people don't have a place to go right away or have the funds for food or even a toothbrush. So these packs with resources and information on homeless shelters and some leads on employers can really make a difference. Uh, and when I talked to Madison Smith, uh, she said the packs are currently being finalized and should begin going out uh, by the end of next month. And if the program is successful in Kauai, it uh, hopefully will be expanded to the other neighbor islands. I just, like I said, cannot believe that we don't have anything like this in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just crazy. Yeah, sometimes it's even just getting identification before getting out. Um, and even in this pack, there's sort of a resource list on all the steps that you need to do to get a driver's license or an identification card. And so how are they planning on starting these on the other islands? Uh, is there pots of money they can access? So that's to be determined. Uh, this is started through a micro-grant, uh, kind of through Madison's internship right now. Okay, but uh, hopefully it goes well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they have a time frame? Is it just when the money runs out? Is it a six-month thing? or Kind of when the money runs out. Okay, all right. Well, hopefully uh, folks see the value in this and that mm-hmm. they can, it can become permanent to help keep people from going back in the prisons. Absolutely. But thank you so much, Sabrina. Thank you, Catherine. We've been talking to HVR Sabrina Bowden. Uh, to check out her stories, head to hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the new Hawaii Island Community Health Center, providing comprehensive health care open to all. Learn more at hicommunityhealthcenter.org. Elon Musk borrowed billions to buy Twitter. Now he just needs to figure out how to pay all that back. There's just one problem. The marketers are Twitter's customers. Tesla has historically never done any marketing. He has no idea how advertising works. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. That's on the next On Point. Beginning this afternoon at 2, following the world. Support for HPR comes from BIA Hawaii, with CSI Honolulu presenting PBX Hawaii, the annual construction and design show taking place this Friday at the Hawaii Convention Center. Registration at pbxhawaii.com.
Honolulu Civil Beat has been tracking a trial in federal court that has to do with inmate safety at the Oahu Women's Correctional Center. Reporter Kevin Dayton joins us today for our reality check. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yes. And so, you know, your headline is that these sex assault victims at the women's prison are looking for damages. I mean, we're talking $8 million. That's a big price tag. Absolutely. So this case has been a long time in coming to trial, and it involves uh, women inmates at the Women's Community Correctional Center who were sexually assaulted, um, many of them in 25, and I'm sorry, uh, 2015 and 2016. Most of them have now served their sentences and been released, and they're now suing the state and former WCCC warden Eric Tanaka and others uh, for money damages in federal court. This case actually originally went to trial in federal court in 2020, but it ended in a mistrial that year. And a new jury has been hearing the case again during the last two weeks and heard closing arguments on Monday. And these cases, what, stem back, to, what, seven years or so, right? That's that's pretty close, basically. Um, and, and as you pointed out, uh, Terry Revere, who's one of the lawyers for the women, urged the jury yesterday to award uh, $1 billion each in damages to each of the five women, as well as $100,000 each in punitive damages. And Revere is also asking the jury to award $3 million the estate of another former inmate, uh, Danielle Panlasigui, sorry, uh, who, who the lawyers say uh, she took her own life in, in part because of the anxiety caused by the assaults. And a central issue in the case has been the three control stations in the prison uh, where the guards work and where many or most of the sexual assaults occurred. Uh, court documents describe about two dozen assaults of the women in the control rooms or in the adjoining bathrooms in 2015 and 2016. And lawyers for the former prisoners say that the state should have known long ago that and installed video cameras in those control booths to monitor what goes on inside. Well, did the state have any good explanation as to why they didn't put in those video well, they, cameras? Absolutely, they did. Um, the the uh, attorney who is representing, um, uh, his name is uh, Skylar Cruz, uh, said that Tanaka removed each of the officers who were accused of sexual assaults as soon as Tanaka learned of the allegations, and he launched investigations into each case, uh, doing acted appropriately, launching investigations into each case. He also requested that the department's uh, public internal affairs section uh, take control of the investigation, so he asked for outside help. Um, the officers involved in the assaults did not have a history of misconduct, and the officers, as, as Cruz put it, went out of their way to keep a secret. They didn't want to get caught, of course. Um, Tanaka couldn't be in the prison every hour of every day, and therefore could not respond to problems if he didn't know about them, is what Cruz told the jury yesterday. Well, you know, what kinds of uh, cameras do they have in the prison? Well, that's an interesting question. This is still very much an open issue um, in the facility. Uh, I, I don't know uh, some of your listeners may be aware that uh, very recently in August, the uh, coordinator for the Corrections Oversight Commission did a walkthrough at uh, WCCC, and she was told at that time that 40% of the cameras were still not functioning in August of 2022. So this is still an issue. Now, um, Mr. Tanaka, uh, according to Mr. Schuyler, uh, according to Scott Cruz, uh, Mr. Tanaka had asked for additional cameras, but uh, did not by himself have the authority to get them installed. Um, and that's a, but that's an assertion that, that the uh, lawyers for the women uh, disagree with. They dispute that, basically saying he could have done it if he, if he had wanted to or if he had been committed to doing it. So it's still an issue. 
Yeah, but I don't know. It, it's kind of crazy. You know, you think of the airport parking structure, right? They steal cars out of there and they have cameras, but a lot of those cameras weren't working. <laughs> well, the, the, the logic is that if there are cameras, the, the corrections officers are not going to engage in this kind of conduct because it is a, it's a very controlled environment and they have, you know, they're being supervised or hopefully they're being supervised. There is another issue that was brought up, which is basically that um, if that the state knew or should have known that these control booths were, were sort of a high-risk area because this had happened before in 2012. Another inmate um, was sexually assaulted in one of the control booths, and she actually ended up, there was a conviction, a criminal conviction in that case, and she ended up suing the state and getting a settlement. So the state was on notice that this was a possibility. I, I think the question is whether their, their actions to, to remedy the risk were, were appropriate. And, you know, your story talks about these sex assault cases, that there was uh, some talk that uh, some of this behavior uh, was to trade off for favors. That was one of the, one of the or allegations that's in the, the, um, in the court documents. The, the complicating factor there is that under state law, there's no way for an inmate, you can't legally give consent to any kind of a sex act, which means any kind of sexual contact between staff and an inmate in a prison setting is a felony under Hawaii law. And this case in particular has sort of highlighted uh, three specific cases, uh, you know, in the last decade or so in which corrections officers um, engaged in that kind of conduct and were convicted of felonies. So it's, it's understood, and they're trained that way to, to know mm -hmm. that anything like that that, um, that happens uh, is, is can be prosecuted. Well, well, I guess we'll just have to see uh, what the jury thinks. We're interested to see what the jury comes back with, absolutely. Yep. All right, well, thank you so much, Kev. Thank you. That was reporter Kevin Dayton with today's Reality Check. Uh, you can read his story online at civilbeat.org. This is The Conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard quiz. The Houston Astros won the 2022 World Series earlier this month. So for today's Backyard Quiz, we're thinking about a baseball great who made his mark on Hawaii. Many may remember the great Joe DiMaggio's visit in April 1944 to join the 7th Army Air Force Base uh, team, a, ba a baseball team during a brief tournament in our islands. But this morning, we're thinking about another Hall of Famer, Jackie Robinson. The multi-talented athlete got his first professional sports experience in Hawaii back in the fall of 1941. At the time, he was a star in every sport he played at UCLA, but his career as a major league baseball player was still six years away. He didn't even come to Hawaii as a baseball player. He came to play on a local semi-pro football team, making $100 a game. He was barred from staying in Waikiki hotels with the team's white players and instead made a home for himself at Paloma Settlement in Kalihi. In today's Backyard Quiz, we want to know what team Jackie Robinson played on during his time in Hawaii. Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689. The first one to get it right gets a reusable HPR tote bag.
Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareet Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits that help to strengthen the community and help underserved families, such as Hawaii Literacy. NareetHawaii.com. A Maui jewelry business staffed with several autistic adults is making a splash on social media. Depot Market's videos on TikTok have collectively amassed over 3.5 million likes to date. The business was founded by jewelry uh, designer Tiffany Cho and her brother Chris, who is autistic and also designs jewelry. Tiffany spent a decade in New York chasing a career in fashion and building her signature line. Her pieces have been featured on national television shows and in global magazines. She returned home to the Valley Isle in 2018 to be her brother's full-time caregiver. They started Depot Market as a way for Chris to earn money, but it is quickly turning into an opportunity for others on the uh, autism spectrum to make a living. The Conversations' Russell Subiano got the chance to sit down with Tiffany and Chris to talk about the business. We start with Tiffany. I guess I was (laughs) never great at academics. I was always very creative since I was really little. Mm -hmm and started sewing my own clothes and when I was 14. And then I went off to art school in Chicago for college. And then I moved to New York City to pursue a career in fashion. And I had my own jewelry line for about 10 years. And I kind of was chasing my own dream to be, you know, a big jewelry designer or whatever. But I kind of discovered towards the end of that 10 years that it wasn't very fulfilling. And then I took a I kind of had to take a break and took a regular job for a while and then moved home to take care of Chris. And that's kind of when, because he also makes jewelry. And then that's kind of how that all happened. And it kind of combined both my creativeness with, I just needed to do something that had a bigger purpose than just, you know, me. So now I think I finally found what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) That's really cool to hear because I've seen on your website that your jewelry has been worn by a lot of recognizable people. I saw that it's been featured on, on several television shows. I've seen it in a handful of magazines as well. And also kind of an interesting story of how you went out there, but you found purpose coming back. What prompted you to come back to be Chris's full-time caregiver? It's funny. Our mom was always encouraging me since I was really little to volunteer at, we have Campy Moa here, which is you volunteer with kids with disabilities. And she'd been having me do stuff like that my entire life. And I kind of only only did it because she was telling me to. And then it only happened when I moved to New York, where I found a community of people called Achilles International. They pair able-bodied athletes with athletes with disabilities to do races together, like triathlons, marathons. And I just naturally found that community. And my parents had been telling me to do these things. And, you know, as a kid, you kind of kind of want to do your own thing, but it turned out that was the community that I felt the most comfortable in. And my dad had been trying to get me to come home for a while to take care of Chris, but I was kind of being stubborn and wanting to do my own thing for a little while. And I can't really explain it, but in 2018, I had this feeling that I've never had a feeling like this before. I'd been in New York for 10 years and that I had this feeling that I had to move home, Mm -hmm. that it was, sorry. (laughs) that I knew it was the right time to move home. 
to start taking care of Chris. And then our mom actually passed away in 2020. So it all kind of, I really didn't expect to get emotional on this, but it all kind of ended up being like for this much bigger purpose that, you know, I never could have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thank you for, for sharing that. I think a lot of us go through a lot of different life experiences and sometimes we don't know what they're for at the time, but the reason reveals itself down the road. Chris, what did you think about your sister's jewelry career? I thought they're very beautiful. Yeah. Very magical and talented. She's like uh, some very godmother or something. I don't know. I just see, all I can say is that she's more magical. That's all I can say. You're very magical too, Chris. I love that. And so when you moved home, and Tiffany, you were trying to help your brother get a job. Ah, I'm th- here. <laughs> I think I remember, or I think I read somewhere that in the process of helping your brother look for a job or try to get a job and, and there being a lack of opportunity for him, it became a much better idea to start a business with him instead. Yeah. So Chris was adopted from Cambodia and found in a market called Depot Market. And so mm-hmm. I, that's why I thought the name had a really special meaning. That's where the name comes from for our store. And so when I moved home, I was asking Chris what he wants to do because it's really hard to fill another person's schedule for, you know, every day. It's kind of difficult if you don't have a regular nine to five job. And he said he wanted to work at Macy's and Tiffany's. And in New York, I know people at both of those companies. And I asked, you know, what would it be possible for him to work there? And I wasn't really taken seriously whenever I asked. And so luckily here on Maui, most of the hotels here do local, they invite local artists. Well, I'm going to be trying to get there sometimes. You take it. I know you take your job seriously. Sometimes I take my job seriously, but maybe not my business, but <laughs> lovely. Probably I just, I just need her help. That's all. I, I so don't know how to take my own stuff out and all. I, I'm still trying to learn how. You're doing a very good job though. <laughs> um, Thanks to my sister, I have like a business, have everything. Have, you have a credit, you just got the Hawaiian uh, Airlines credit card. Oh, you did? <laughs> oh, nice. It took a while for him to get approved, but he did it. <laughs> nice. You can start racking up those miles and traveling yeah. now. All right. Because our brother lives in Vegas, so we're trying to use those those miles. Sorry, it took so long. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. But so, yeah, that, that's kind of how it started. We started selling at the Fairmont Kailani here for, we've been selling there for the last three years. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw it as having a, it could be a bigger opportunity because we have a lot, we have a lot of other friends like Chris that are kind of in the same situation. There are very, very few jobs, let alone jobs that they have any interest in doing. Yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Chris, what did you think when your sister said, let's start a business and let's sell our jewelry? What did you think of that? Well, I thought it was great. It's a tough decision to make what I want to do with my uh, budget and all, but I want to pay my bills with, but even though I'm not really about money, but maybe I'm just bringing my family to another place and all, probably move us somewhere. Oh, Chris wants to move to England. Oh, you want to move to England? Yeah. So badly. I so badly wanted us to move there and all, because no... I always dreamt about being a prince. Mm-hmm. I had too much fun being a prince charming and all, and wanted to be a real one, especially president and all, mayor. Uh-huh. 
Oh, that's I love that. I want to be able to respect everyone else's opinions and meals and also <laughs> respect how they they are. And I want to treat people how they treat us and all, but in a nice way. That's very wise words. Yeah. Very, he gives very good advice. Yeah. Have, have you tried? Was, you keep cutting him off, though. You sorry. keep cutting Russell off. Sorry about that. Well, I, that's okay. That's okay. I I, I want to know if you've been practicing an, an English accent. <laughs> Do you have an English accent? Probably. <laughs> there's probably there's there's I think there's still time. There's there's plenty of time to to work on it. So you guys, <laughs> so you guys start this business, and I see that you've included some other autistic professionals in the business as well. How did you find these other individuals that would also be able to benefit from this opportunity? So Chris uh, is part of a program here on Maui called La Kea, and uh, they help all kinds of adults with various disabilities. And so that's well, kind of- I just actually <laughs> I used to be more. Can I finish my story? Sure. <laughs> and so that's we've kind of just naturally, you know. And throughout being here for so long, you know, a lot of families, you know, being with Chris all this time, mm-hmm. we've met a lot of families, like I said, that have sim- similar situations. And we asked a couple of other adults that have Down syndrome if they want to, because a lot of the adults, they don't have jobs, like I was saying, and they want to work. So it was kind of really easy just asking if they if they want to come and work with us. Chris, what's your favorite part about your business? My favorite part is designing the jewelry, and so I do the do-your-own-jewelry, which is one of my favorite. And I make a lot of charm bracelets, and oh man, I can't believe I actually invented that and all. I thought you were going to say your favorite thing is getting paid. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say it was getting paid. Yeah, I know. That's a very, very good answer. Your answer is a very good answer. Well, actually, I... Well, we do have to get paid eventually, but it's not something paid. we want. It's something we have to do because yeah. otherwise we'll, we'll be cut off and all. And right, right. I know I thought a little bummer for me too and all. You're doing a great job. Yeah, I, I think so, man. I think you're doing really good. Tiffany, what kind of life lessons do those that participate in Depot Market, what kind of life lessons are they able to learn in regard to business and independence? So sometimes Chris has off days, I mean, like everybody else, but his off days can be a little more heightened. Mm -hmm. And every time he has to work, he is like very, very present. Like he is now like extremely present and works really hard and stays focused the entire eight hours or whatever, Mm -hmm. which is really, really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's given him a lot of self-confidence and he's gotten his own bank account. We're still learning on trying to help him learn. Chris, I'm trying to say something. <laughs> also, still trying to teach him that, you know, the Hawaiian Airlines credit card isn't unlimited. But <laughs> but it's given him a lot of freedom and teaching him more independence. Mm-hmm. And the bigger picture is showing other people that people like Chris can do all kinds of different things. They might do it differently. They might take a little bit longer, but they are fully capable of doing all kinds of different jobs and tasks. Chris, what's the hardest part of the business? Well, more like the paper origami folding is harder, <laughs> but I'm still trying to do as much as I can to 
comfort people with those origami mm-hmm. and jewelry and all my earrings and all and know how much they love earrings how much I love making earrings and all I have been, been trying to name the heart earrings and all because Jeff asked me to and all I guess I could name it probably Valentine's or Heartthrob or something mm-hmm. Chris helps with the naming of our products oh okay okay that's what he's that's what he's uh, referring to but yeah he uh, when we first started selling in person he was always trying to give everything away for free oh <laughs> well I don't want it to be uh charging for them and all i know it's so nice but i'm the one paying i was the one paying for all this stuff before we turned it into a business (laughs) but he has a very big heart yeah christmas is fast approaching i know that depot market has done some pop-ups around maui i know you're working on opening a brick and mortar shop in wailuku what else do you have planned for the future to make your products available to the public I think our bigger biggest goal would be to have Devil Market in various cities where we can, you know, help multiple adults and like, you know, all over the world and country to have this kind of opportunity to, you know, have employment in, you know, various capacities. Like if they don't make jewelry, they can do talk to customers, do the cash register, help packing orders. That's something we've come across with people that have different skill sets than Chris is like accommodating other people because we don't want to say no to people if they want to work. So the bigger goal is to also show other businesses that hiring people like Chris, like people love seeing Chris when we do our pop-ups. Almost everyone that comes up to us in person says, you know, my my uncle has autism. I work in special ed. Like everyone has a connection to someone with a disability. And so I think... Well, actually, it's not special ed problem, really. It's just more like, well... Basically just showing people that they can do a lot of different things, Yeah. Chris, is there anything you want to say to the people that listen to this interview? Is there anything you want to say about your business? I miss David and I miss... Oh, they're uh, participants at Lockia. Yeah, I miss uh, my friends at Lockia and... But is there anything you want to say to all the people I'm listening? Oh, yeah, that of you course. That you, you've not, you haven't met yet? Yes, of course. Hi, Hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Tiffany. Thanks so much for your time, Chris. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much. We've been hearing from siblings Tiffany and Chris Cho about how their jewelry business, uh, Depot Market, has impacted those with disabilities on Maui. They were talking with HPR's Russell Subiono. We'll have links on the conversation page of our website, hawaiipublicradio.org, later today. HPR brought you multiple perspectives on a topic we all want more of, but don't get enough of, sleep. The back to school jam isn't just about traffic on the road, but the jam up in your sleep schedule too. There's been times I would do an assignment that maybe three in the morning I'm finished and I can't remember what happens throughout that day. He's not alone. According to the CDC, Hawaii is the most sleep deprived state in the country. So there's no such thing as getting used to insufficient sleep. We instead accumulate what's called sleep debt over days, weeks, months, years. And the impact of that can be really significant. So it's actually a pretty interesting research study at the University of Pittsburgh. The uh, participants in the study who slept less than six hours a night were four times more likely to catch a cold. Okay, that's compelling. Support news coverage at HPR. Donate today at hawaiipublicradio.org.
beloved local chef, Sam Choi, has written over a dozen cookbooks. In this holiday season, he is sharing his newest one, Sam Choi's Ulu Cookbook, Hawaii's Breadfruit Recipes. He sat down with the Conversations Lillian Song to talk about his lifelong love for the gluten-free fruit that he calls one of Polynesian's food of life. He shares family recipes and stories about this island staple and about his joy of cooking in the kitchen with Ulu. I was five years old when I had my first taste of ulu and just fell in love with it, you know. And growing up in Leia with a mixture of Polynesia kind of like all came together because of Church College of Hawaii, which is now today BYU. And then, of course, the Polynesian Culture Center, which is a great idea, bringing all the South Pacific Islanders all into one area. And then, you know, of course, watching them cook the, the breadfruit the way they did back then and the way I like it, you know, on the charcoal and get all black and kind of white and then peel the outside and, and just dip that fresh hot ulu right into coconut milk. Oh, fresh coconut milk. And then as it gets riper, then it becomes a dessert. So when it gets soft, you know, my mom then when we were young, they used to cut it in half and just put cinnamon and brown sugar and butter and just baked it in the oven. Oh, man, that was so good. Oh, those are happy memories. Yeah. My, my, my tongue is... <laughs> yeah, your, t- your tongue is dancing. <laughs> I, can, I can just smell it and yeah, see it and taste yeah. it. Wow. Yeah, it's to die for. It's really good. Yum. Yeah, that is so good, you know I mean? So those are the kind of flavors probably like you when you grew up and your mom or your dad took you out to get dim sum or something like that. There's certain things that you just light up. You go like, yeah, that's it right there, you know? And that's why you cannot really tear away too much away from the style of cooking. You can, you know, you can kind of um, be creative and regenerate it, but the taste has to be the same. You know, I think that's what has gotten me a lot of places because people like what I do because I haven't really strayed away from, uh, you know, island cuisine or island food, but I've kind of, you know, beefed it up a little bit in presentation, you know. In this cookbook, you really broke it down very simply. Right. And I feel like I can do this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, everybody who sees it, they go like, what is that? Is that a pineapple tree? You know, they go, no, no, that's breadfruit, ulu. Today, everybody has an air fryer. They make the best French fries. Ulu fries are the best. You know, it's crispy on the outside, very moist, but nice flavor. You know, you got that sweet flavor. Mm. I mean, it's really good. (laughs) I grew up in town. I'm an urbanite. And I saw more mango trees than ulu. See, maybe a breadfruit tree every so often in Mo'ili'ili. For me, it was still a very exotic fruit because uh-huh. I didn't understand how to handle it. Right. I never really ate it growing up, but it's a staple for you. You're so familiar with it, and you have aggregated it all in this cookbook. Yeah, it was a very interesting project. It took a while because Gay Wong, who's a owner of Mutual Publishing, her and Bennett Heimer, Gay and I had the idea of doing it because she knew how passionate I was about breadfruit. You know, as we got deeper into it, found out it's gluten-free. It is definitely a superfood. So we worked on it, and then almost three-fourths of the way, she passed away. You know, so that went back on the shelf because, you know, it just didn't have the heart. But then Bennett, her partner and her husband, said, Sam, let's finish this book for Gay. So, yeah, we came back, and it wasn't easy, but Jane played a major role in making sure that, you know, we, we did it right, kind of like we had all the work done, you know, and uh, Betty, Betty Shimabukuro, she was a ghost writer and worked on the recipes. Mm. She orchestrated the finishing of the pictures with Leeward Community College culinary team. Shout out to them. They did a great job. And Hawaii Ulu Cooperative also has yes. some fingerprints in this. Yes. 
we went out and asked if they were interested, and of course they said, yeah, because they have over 150 farmers that grow breadfruit ulu. They've worked hard. They got flour now that's produced in Hawaii. There's flour that they produce in Western Samoa, you know, and parts of the mainland. I was very happy to see the co-op getting involved, and they're a great group. You know, they've uh, worked hard to create this movement of getting all these growers to bring their products to market, and they'll be the vehicles to put it in, like, Whole Foods, local markets, produce companies, like maybe one day Diotani Produce, a local company that's selling farmed items, getting it to more people's homes, yeah? All People year round. need convenience now, right? Yes. It's, like, it's a very seasonal fruit. Right, it is. It's like mango. You know, you got the seasons of that, lychee, you know, lychee, all those other fruits, that tropical fruits that are grown seasonally. So breadfruits and ulu is the same thing, right? It's really nice to have the co-op part of it. You know, they're very aggressive in marketing, product R&D, and uh, to be part of that first book really solely designed to get the message out. And, you know, like I always tell people, Everything that potato can do, ulu can do better because of the gluten-free. So if you're a plant-based person, besides tofu, that's a great item right there. I've been telling a lot of the vegan chefs, hey, breadfruit, breadfruit, you know. So you were blessed with this knowledge early on in life. Yeah, it's been, you know, and then, of course, I got educated, too. You know, it's one thing about education. We can never say we learned it all because, you know what, there's always somebody out there that's really much smarter but they know it much better. You know, so when I worked with the .org guys and then uh, with uh, Craig and their team and then, of course, now with the co-op, it's just amazing how much knowledge they brought to the table. And it's really good because people, first of all, when they see it, they don't know what to do with it. Or when do you pick it? You know, so it says all in there. When the sap starts to come out and it feels plentiful and it starts to turn a little brown, that's perfect. It's still firm but it's ready. You know, you can peel it. It's so easy. You know, in Samoa, they use the coconut shell, a sharp coconut shell on a stick, like cap, cap over at the Ponjikosa Center. When they peel it, they use that. They'll scrape the outside. Mm. You know, a lot of hand wound, like you're scratching it. Or you get a good potato peeler, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then now they got it where you can freeze it to make sure that they can have it all year round. You know, because of it being seasonal, they can have it frozen in supermarkets. You know, just like when you see the Orida frozen potato fries and stuff like that, you're going to see ulu sooner or later going to be just like that. They already have it, but more on a larger scale. And we as people who love to eat, it is like word of mouth. It's yeah. Like, hey, I just found this great product. Yeah, exactly. You should make your curry with this. You know, you go to a Thai restaurant, you know, the vegetarian with the kabocha, that vegetarian curry is really popular. Now, can you imagine instead of putting potatoes, you put breadfruit in that? Oh, man, that's a whole different game changer right there. You know, I, I do a mashed potato at some events when I get the ulu. Man, they go, like, what, what, what is this? I said, it's not potato. You know, no, we know it's not potato, but it's really tasty and it's creamy. And I said, that's breadfruit. Oh, my God. I said, you know what's good about it? Eat a lot. You're, you're fine. It's gluten-free. No way. I said, yeah, it's gluten-free. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, so you're doing your part, spreading the joy. Hey, you know, it's like poke, man. You know, I love poke, and ulu has been my love, too, you know. Do you think that ulu might become more mainstream? Yeah, ulu will be mainstream. It'd be uh, once, um, you know, the co-op guys kind of get everything lined up and the farmers and, you know, Kamehameha land, those guys are looking at giving, not giving, but setting up land leases by thousands of acres. 
to put ulu trees in there, I think, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen quick. The flower part's really happening. You know, it's really excited. Uh, Western Samoa, they got the plants already set up. They're creating a lot of flower. Guys over there in St. Croix, Virgin Island there, they got the vodka coming out. The rest will just follow. I think this will be in every household, every market that's out there for a more healthier lifestyle, yeah. So, yeah, I can see that going mainstream. You share in the book that you and your wife, Carol, moved to the Big Island in the early 80s. Right. And you planted breadfruit in your yard. You have Tahitian, Hawaiian, Ma'afala, and Samoan. The Samoan variety has vitamin C that's light orange on the inside. Right, yes. If you're going to plant, you plant the Ma'afala. Yeah, I'm not an expert on it, but, uh, yeah, you get a Ma'afala. That's what you want. Give Straight from the horse's mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's the one to look for if yes. you if you got a little space in your yard. Well, how much space do you need to? Hold well, you don't need that much space because what you got to do is trim it. You know, you got to keep it in control, right? So it produces. You know what I'm saying? It's like mango; it comes out all one time. But there's an educational piece how you can steam it and then wrap it and freeze it, and it comes out perfect. Mm. You know, or sauvé. You know, you drop it in boiling water. You know. But it comes out perfect. I just used it the other day on TV, and it was a frozen product. And it was like really like as if I picked it right from the trees. It holds well. It holds well. You know, it's one of the products that holds well. Potatoes holds well, you know, frozen. Mm -hmm. So breadfruit does the same thing. So just keep that parallel in mind. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, so yeah. So, yeah, so we got, you know, we, we grow a lot of things, but we got our four ulu trees in our yard, and um, they produce a lot. We have a section in the freezer full of them. Oh, okay. I've always, in fact, uh, tomorrow I'm doing a dinner and I've got some friends from the mainland, from Oregon, and I'm doing an ulu dish. Kind of like a, a Samoan one where I cook it with coconut milk and onions. You have big chunks of ulu and taro in there, kalo. And then I'm going to serve uh, lupulu, which is kind of a takeoff of a tongan lao lao. So, you know, get the lao lao, and then I'm going to put the ulu in the lao lao to steam it, just cook it like that. How do you retain all these recipes in your head? You're just like, boom, boom, boom. Well, you know, when I was young, I talked to some great chefs, you know, and I said, what makes a great chef? It was to make sure you have a lot of recipes in your head, you know. So I've always kind of took that challenge, took that to heart, you know. I have a lot of recipes in my head. I like sharing it. When I pass, I want to make sure that my brain's empty. <laughs> well, your institutional knowledge, I mean, so in this cookbook, so many different types of, of recipes. Yeah, and you know, you want to you want to get get to the edge of a table. You want to try something different. We can march to the same beat all the time in life, but then it gets kind of exciting if you do something different. You put the wow factor to your arsenal of all your recipes, and if you introduce that to your friends, they go, "Hey, how'd you do that? Oh, it's ulu, real simple. Go to the open market, get ulu. They have it in the stores frozen. That's what's exciting about food, mm -hmm. you know." This is like, I have something new to bring to the potluck. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cooking to impress. Well, great resource to have on your bookshelf to start understanding this very simple ingredient. You even shared your one secret recipe for braised short ribs. Oh, yes. So you've been very generous in this. In well, this like I said, I want to leave everything I have in my brains, whatever is left to everybody. You know, there's nothing to hold back. You know, I'm a... I'm kind of like a new wave chef, you know, there's no secret in my head. Everything I do, I teach. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, look at the team that put it together, you know. That's the most important thing is having a good team. 
And I think, uh, you know, Gay, of course, she was the driving force and her connection, her friends that helped out on the book. Bennett, you know, Mutual Publishing, Jane. I mean, those guys, you know, they worked countless hours to put a book out like this. And then, of course, Betty, you know, Betty Shimabukuru put the final touches to it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, our students at the Leeward Community College that uh, worked hard and their Mm -hmm. staff people that put it out and then the Mm co-op. You know, with their 150 farmers that they represent, you know, and then the people that will pick up the book and purchase it or just have it on their bookshelves. Hopefully they read it or stain it. You know, I like cookbooks that got stains on it. That means they're using it, you know. Yes. Oh, thank you, Sam. It's been such an enjoyable time with you. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? I just uh, appreciate all the people that are tuning in to listen to this. And uh, so fortunate that Mutual Publishing and, of course, the co-op has gotten behind it and has really allowed us to do what we're doing. I mean, that's just uh, how it works, you know. That's how you get messages out and and then a book signing, you know. So, yeah. And it's right before holidays, so it's perfect. But I think everybody should have a breadfruit tree in their yard. Um, it's sad to see some people buy a house with a breadfruit tree in it, and the next thing I know, they cut it down. You know, that kind of like just, not irks me, but just go like, oh, my God, I don't think they were educated enough to know. I don't think they know. understood what treasure tree. they had in yeah. their backyard. And there's trees that I see that just, you know, keeps getting ripe. So I finally make it a point to go up and knock the door and go like, do you guys know you got bread? For- oh, yeah, we know. Do you guys use it? Oh, we don't know how to use it. I said, I'm going to take some, then I'll make a dish and I'll bring it back to you. Next thing I know, they go like, oh, man, you got to show me how to do this. And then I says, if you guys don't mind, you know, I'll come and pick some. He goes, oh, you can help yourself, you know. Mm. But, yeah, so, you know, it's all education. And learning the respect of the, the new area you're living in to understand the culture of it, yeah. That was Big Island chef Sam Choi sharing his love for ulu, or breadfruit, with HPR's Lillian Sohn. His new cookbook, Sam Choi's Ulu Cookbook, Hawaii's Breadfruit Recipes, is a comprehensive guide to the handling and preparation of ulu, done in collaboration with the late Gay Wong, Betty Shumabukuru, and the Hawaii Ulu Cooperative. It's out on bookshelves now through Mutual Publishing. We'll have links on our conversation page of our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for HPR comes from the Hawaii International Film Festival's 2022 Fall Festival, featuring films from around the world, online through November 27th. Full film program at HIFF.org. Are you interested in working in radio? HPR has part-time openings in its operations department. You'll be part of the dedicated team that puts HPR's programs on the air and keeps it humming 24-7. Responsibilities include preparing shows for air, working in our on-air control rooms, and ensuring compliance with broadcast standards. If this is music to your ears, visit hawaiipublicradio.org jobs to learn more. 
Support for HPR comes from Chaminade University, committed to educating tomorrow's leaders in social justice, community health, and organizational change for the future of Hawaii and beyond. Learn more about programs at chaminade.edu. In today's Backyard Quiz, we look back to the days when Jackie Robinson came to Hawaii for his first professional sports experience. In 1941, he was already a star athlete at UCLA, but in those days, Major League Pro Sports were white only. So he came to Hawaii to play football for a local semi-pro team that was known to be integrated. He arrived in September aboard the Matsonia along with UCLA teammate Ray Bartlett, and he played in his first game just a few days later. The Star Bulletin wrote, Robinson gave 8,000 fans a lot to talk about. All they say about the Negro Flash is true. His team won that game by a score of 27 to 6, with Robinson intercepting a pass and running it back 37 yards. Later in the same game, he switched to quarterback, competing three completing three straight passes for more than 50 yards and a touchdown. The name of the team he played for was the Honolulu Bears, which was the answer to today's backyard quiz, which nobody got. Footnote, Robinson left Honolulu to return to the mainland on December 5th, 1941, just two days before the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. That's today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, send it to TalkBack at hawaiipublicradio.org. Well, that wraps it up for us today. Tomorrow on The Long View, what can we learn about an endangered butterfly and how do we apply it to politics and everyday life? Share your comments or questions about what you heard by calling your talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.